When the best university in the world asks you, would you like to come and join them and do something as significant as find ways of using their intellectual property? That was a very easy decision for me. And it's been a revelation. The people that I get to work with every day are world leaders in their fields, passionate about their research, passionate about coming up with ideas that are going to be beneficial. The people that I work with within OUI are equally talented, committed. The very fact that under such difficult circumstances, we can have had our best year ever last year. That's what makes it exciting and interesting. Matt Perkins has been the Chief Executive of Oxford University Innovation for just under five years and today on the podcast he joins us to talk not only about why he moved from industry into academia but also about how OUI set up programs to support diverse founding teams, the impact of Oxford Sciences Innovation on the local ecosystem and the increasing importance of social enterprises as well as why, once the pandemic is over, there won't just be a rush back to the office. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Good to be here. To start with, can you give me a bit of an overview of OUI and, if you have them handy, some key figures as well? Definitely. OUI, we're a wholly owned subsidiary of the University of Oxford. We are about 75 people. We fluctuate between 75 and 80 people. We have three key activities that we're involved in on behalf of the university. Our major activity is licensing and ventures, so taking invention disclosures from the academic community at Oxford and finding ways to get those research outcomes converted into positive societal impact. So it could be a spin-out company, it could be a social enterprise, it could be a licensing deal. Around half of the people in OUI are working on that activity. We have a team called Consulting Services, and they support the academic community and departments in finding consultancy opportunities and We help negotiate the contracts for those consultancy agreements. We will even negotiate the day rates for them for the academics. And we sign somewhere in the region of 500 of those sorts of deals a year for the academic community. It can be for the university's benefit or it can be directly for just the individual academics benefit. But that's a service that we offer to the academics. And then we also have a team called Investments and New Ventures. We manage the university's proof of concept funds, which take a good research outcome and get them into a more investable proposition. And then the university provides us with some funds each year, small amounts of funds to invest into the spin-out portfolio. There's roughly 140 companies in the spin-out portfolio. So the amount of money we get, there's no way we can invest in all of them. So we have to try and pick some winners. That's the only part of the activities that OUI does, that the university has a specific financial outcome required. The majority of our metrics are based on achieving impact, positive impact. We do try and make sure we break even each year. We have a plan for breaking even over each five-year period. We try and deliver a surplus back to the university each year as well. But the majority of our income each year is distributed back to the university and to its employees. So we are net positive in terms of financial returns each year at the moment on our latest five-year plan. Some key numbers to talk about. We had a really good, strong year, even with the pandemic in place. So we helped support the creation of 28 companies throughout the calendar year. Four of those were startups from our own incubator, seven social ventures, some of which also count as part of the 20 spin-outs that we created each year. We do have distinctions between each of those in terms of how we describe them internally. But 28 companies in one year is a really positive outcome. And we're seeing continuing progress in this financial year. So since 1st of August last year, We've helped support the creation of another 16 companies. So it's been very positive in terms of our ability to create companies. 
Another really strong indication of the vibrancy of the Oxford ecosystem has been the more than one billion pounds of investment received into Oxford University spinouts in the calendar year last year. That almost doubles our previous best year. And to put it in context, in 2018, total investment across all UK spinouts was just under £1.5 billion. So Oxford managed to receive over a billion pounds in one calendar year. So a great result. It's very positive. We are seeing that continue now. Consulting services was our business that probably saw the largest hit from the pandemic. And we saw a downturn in revenues from that last year. But that seems to have been almost fully recovered this financial year. They're signing lots and lots of deals. So we've signed more than 350 commercial deals in this financial year in the first six months. So it's positive times in terms of the amount of work that we're doing. And the team are all still in one place. We are making sure that they understand, prioritize themselves and their loved ones. And then you can think about work because actually it's more important that you're not burnt out during this period so that when we are able to get out of lockdown, we can continue delivering what we're supposed to be delivering for the university and for the academic community here at Oxford. That's fantastic. You've mentioned record-breaking numbers there. You've massively increased the number of spin-outs produced over the past several years. 200th spin-out last year with Fish AR and 250th company with Lit Hits. To what do you attribute this success? It's a combination of factors. Having a preferred university investment partner in Oxford Sciences Innovation in the ecosystem makes seed funding more available and has certainly spurred on a number of the academic community to consider doing spin-out companies now rather than taking the license direction for the outcomes of their research. At Oxford, all of the decisions about which pathway will be followed are the responsibility of the academics. OUI's job is to provide guidance and advice on what the options are and what the pros and cons of each. But the academics decide for themselves which route they want to go, and then we provide them with that support to take them there. So having an academic community with an appetite for spin-out companies is really important. And that is built by seeing the success delivered by others who've gone before, but also the university's incentives for academics to get involved in spin-outs and the amount of time and energy and support services available from the university, including what we offer from OUI, has also made that an awful lot easier. But the fundamental requirement is we have fantastic research ideas and research outcomes coming from world-leading researchers in the best university in the world. So with that raw material, we have no option other than to generate as many positive outcomes as we possibly can. And that's reflected in the spin-outs that we've seen more recently. You've mentioned Oxford Sciences Innovation. How big a player is that in Oxford? It's a really important, crucial player. The relationship between OUI, OSI, and the university is extremely important, and it's very close. We have regular discussions. Members of OSI are involved in a number of the significant innovation-based meetings we hold with the university each term, and the relationship is strong. We're all aiming to achieve the same thing, which is to have a vibrant world-leading innovation ecosystem based around Oxford University but encompassing the whole of the Oxfordshire region. We're striving very hard to do that. Having investment available is one key element. Attracting talent is also equally important. OSI support on that as well. And providing continuing employment opportunities for that talent that's attracted by having continuous creation of spin-outs. So we know that OSI have a very large appetite for continuing to invest in the Oxford spin-outs. They want to see us creating more each year. I mean, we're already doing 20 spin-outs a year and they want us to create more than that. And we will do, provided we have enough 
companies of the right quality and opportunities of the right quality, but we don't seem to be short of those. We always have a long list of projects that we're working on, which ultimately could result in spin-outs. So they play a really important part. And they do also attract and introduce other investors into the ecosystem, which is really important as well. They've never wanted to be the sole investor in Oxford spin-outs. They've always wanted to work with others. The success that's being delivered at the moment is attracting more and more investors here to this community and this ecosystem. That's amazing. You've mentioned earlier on as well that you have spin-out social enterprises. Externally, you just refer to them as Oxford companies now, even if internally you still obviously break them down into their different categories. What prompted this change to brand them as Oxford companies? Nothing more challenging than just clarity of communications. When we get bogged down in Oxford about uh, whether it's a spin-out or a startup, to most other people, it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever. We talk about the total number of companies that are created each year. Spin-outs always have some element of university support, university IP, academic members of the um, Oxford community involved in them. Startups, in our perspective, come out of our incubator, and that can be students, it can be employees, alumni, it can be relatives of students, people associated with Oxford. So we treat them very differently, and the way that they are progressed through to forming companies is treated differently. Social enterprise, of course, is a big one that we've been working on quite strongly, and we're very pleased that we've now created 10 social enterprises in the last couple of years. There is a big appetite amongst the academic community for social enterprises, and we want to support that because ultimately the key requirement we have to deliver is creating impact. And social enterprises create impact just as well, in many cases, as commercial organizations can. You've touched on my next question there, which was about social enterprises, obviously an initiative led by Mark Mann. Do you think social enterprises specifically are important or are ESG in general going to be important for your spin-outs? I think they both are. We originally intended to have social enterprises as an option available for the academics, particularly aimed at the humanities and social science divisions at the university. But in actual fact, we found there was an appetite across all four of the main research divisions in the university for getting involved in social enterprise. So there was quite clearly a social desire to be involved in these. And we've had to look at what's the best structures for them. Do we do companies limited by shares or limited by guarantee and finding uh, innovative ways to be able to get funding into them as well. We have a small budget to do these each year. We're eating up that budget at the moment. The demand is so high. And that's a really positive thing because it means that the message that we're putting out is it's not about the money. It's not about how much money Oxford University can make out of its research. It's actually about how much societal impact it can create from its research. Impact is also important when it comes down to things like the uh, research excellence framework assessments and the rating for impact case studies has gone up this time round relative to last time round. So we are driven to help generate impact and social enterprise is a strong element of that. Consulting services and the activities that academics do on a personal basis for customers can also create impact as well, which is why we actively support those. In terms of ESG, governance has always been a really strong element of the spin-out companies. The investors who get involved want to see strong governance. The companies get benefit from having that strong governance because they do get more investment opportunities than they would have. There is a, definitely a community here at Oxford who see environmental and social issues as really important and want to take those into account when they're founders of spin-out companies or startups or social enterprises. So we're seeing more and more of that now. 
we don't need to actively encourage it because again the decision makers are the people who are coming up with the great ideas that's their job to decide which route they want to go and we support them in whichever direction they're interested in but it's very pleasing to see how important ESG is and how it's being adopted by quite a number of the spin out companies not all of them but quite a number of them take it very seriously and build it into their company and the way they want to see it behave the values it has and how it interacts with others is that something you see from student startups as well oh yes yeah yeah we do we have a number of programs here that we run one program we run jointly with oxford sciences innovation and the oxford foundry called the student entrepreneurs program step and again teams of students get together access university intellectual property and from that come up with a business proposition the winning ideas will get an award and they will be able to go down the route of creating a startup company or a spin-out company. And we've just had our first company created out of that program. And number two is very shortly going to follow. But the mindset of the student community is very much that they want to see the social impact. They want the strong values. They want the environment and climate change to be taken into account. Those are all important elements of what they're trying to achieve, as well as the business idea. So it's great to see that being taking hold. And of course, having a wide range of resources to support that mindset across the student community here at Oxford is really important. And we have quite a number of programs which are running involving various parts of the university to be able to stimulate and support those desires and interests. That's wonderful. Next question, something slightly different. You are a member of 10U, the transatlantic collaboration of TTOs. Can you tell me a bit more about that from OUI's perspective and why it's an important initiative? Traditionally, there's been a group of us here in the UK, which we've termed the 6U, and the heads of the technology transfer offices from those six universities would regularly hold discussions and meet and discuss topics which are of common interest. It might be messaging into government or best practice of sharing. And we were always being compared with other geographic regions around the world, particularly the USA. So no matter how many times we try to indicate that there was some good work going on here in technology transfer in the UK, the message was always, ah, but it's not as good as it's happening in the US. Why can't we be more like the US? Why don't we do it the same way as the US? So the tenue resulted out of getting you know, what we saw as really strong universities from the US to join with the six in the UK. And we've also got one from Europe as well. Leuven is a member of the tenue. And we can compare again what government needs, what sort of metrics should we use to compare performance, benchmarking, approaches, best practice sharing. We are even looking at trying to help develop the experience of our staff members by looking at either secondment activities or training activities associated with other technology transfer offices around the world. So there's lots of benefit and certainly there's an appetite by UK government and Research England to see the output of that group. And similarly with the US as well. We've seen the director of NIST very interested in participating and seeing how the lessons learned in both geographic regions can be shared and benefit others. So we see it as really positive. It's great to have that group of experienced professionals to bounce ideas off and get ideas about how we could do other things, how we could expand the offerings that we have, look at commercial reasons for the terms that we use, qualify party rights, all those sorts of things can be up for discussion. We find it really valuable. We don't meet very often, but we are trying to, once we're out of lockdown, international travel's available. Ideally, we'd like to meet face-to-face at least once, if not twice a year. Completely impossible at the moment, as we know, 
But virtual meetings are still going ahead. And of course, we have this series called the 10 New Hosts, which raise topical subjects for people to hear about. The last one was about a comparison of the ecosystems in London and New York. Of course, we would always volunteer Oxford up as an ecosystem to be compared with some of our colleagues over in the US. You know, we'd love to be compared with MIT and Stanford. <laughs> Has it helped the messaging with the UK government to have Stanford and MIT involved in your group as well? Definitely. Because the way that MIT and Stanford operate is very much specific to the region that they are in and the constraints under which they operate. And the constraints and the region we're in here in the UK is fundamentally different. The mindset of approach when people say, why don't you have the same founding equity policy as MIT and Stanford? Always a great example that people bring to us because the pressures on the universities and the pressures on the technology transfer offices are different in the UK to those that are in the USA. That doesn't mean that we just ignore them out of hand. It means that when we consider things like founding equity policy, we take into account what the other significant players around the world are doing and see where we would sit against them. Having that relationship so we can understand clearly why is it that they take that approach and what's the purpose of their policy as opposed to the purposes that our university have. So it's really important to have those interactions to be able to qualify exactly why we're thinking the way we are thinking and provide evidence back to government as to we do it this way, the US does it that way, this is the reason they do it, this is our reason why we're doing it the way that we are. But there is no single common policy adopted across the UK. Every university does it differently. And we're certainly not suggesting that every university should do it the same. There's different reasons and pressures on each university, which mean that the policies do need to be different. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. How does Oxford fare when it comes to tech transfer engagement from female and minority researchers? Do you track those numbers? Well, we don't track those numbers, although we are now beginning to look at that in a little more detail. We've always tried not to be intrusive, I think is probably the best description around that type of information. Everything at Oxford here is based on it being a meritocracy. So mindset, idea, quality of idea, quality of research outcome is the most important factor. We are heavily involved in a number of different programs which are aimed at trying to increase the diversity of founders in spin-out companies and the gender split in spin-out companies and finding in the people who will invest in female founders. Only last week in Oxford, a program was launched called IDEA, which is increasing diversity in enterprising activities. And it's very much about how do we get more female founders? How do we get them better supported by the investment community? How do we improve diversity in general, not just gender-based, but diversity in general? across the ecosystem. We had two pro-vice chancellors from the university attending that meeting. We had myself, my COO from OUI attending it. We had the head of research services attending it. We had a great community of the knowledge exchange team attending it. So it was very positive. We had Anna Bakshi from the Oxford Foundry attending it as well. A really important element of the Oxford ecosystem. So that is a very topical question for us at this point in time. I know that our university council, when we did an innovation update to the council about 18 months ago, one of their key questions was, how are we faring with regards to the diversity question and the support for female founders? And so we are actively pursuing a number of different opportunities as part of the university's agenda to be able to find ways to improve that. We don't have numbers at this point in time. We are setting baselines at the moment, and we will be looking at those in the future. And that's why the IDEA program is such an important one for us, because that will help us set those baselines. 
I'll come back to you on that question in uh, in a few months' time then. Yeah, feel free. <laughs> that sounds very promising, though. We talked about this a little bit before I hit the record button, but are there any changes in how you work now that you think or hope will become permanent once we've made it out of the pandemic? There's lots and lots of lessons that we've learned during these lockdown phases. And OUI started a lockdown in 17th of March last year, before the national lockdown happened. We were only trialing whether we could work from home at that point, but we very quickly converted it into a full lockdown process. We have found as an organization, we can perform and deliver what we're supposed to deliver working virtually. We've certainly saved a huge amount of carbon generation by not doing the international travel that we would normally do or the commuting that we would normally do. So there's been some real positives in that regard. We're well aware of the challenges of mental health, the support networks, the social networks that are needed to be able to bind the team together behind the company's values. So the key messages we're looking at now is flexibility of working, both location and time, almost certainly we will maintain. We're trying to understand what level of personal, physical, face-to-face interaction is required. When would we expect people who are employees to attend the office? We have a working group set up at OUI who is looking at all of these topics and trying to figure out a series of recommendations of what we should do once the pandemic is over and we're approaching something more close to normal. We deliberately are not closed-minded about what the outcome is going to be. We have an office space. We rent that office space. We're locked into it for another four or five years, so we will be continuing to use it. But how we use it, I think, will change, certainly. And I think the need for the level of international travel that some of us were doing I used to travel to China two or three times a year. I travel to the States twice a year. I haven't been to either of them since March last year. Not expecting to go there anytime soon either. But those sorts of trips, we know that half of those now could at least be done by virtually as we're doing now. So I think we'll see a reduction in the amount of international travel that we do. But ultimately, it'll be down to location of work and flexibility of work. And the key balancing act is maintaining the social interactions. It's very clear from our workforce that they do need that social interaction. We've created a team of mental health first aiders for OUI, and their sole job is to make sure that people who are struggling in this isolated environment are pointed in the right direction for help and support. The university has many support programs in place. It's too many to even find out about quite often for the individual, but having people there who can point you for them is really an important service. And we had an update today at our staff meeting that we hold once every two months in OUI. And the value seen by the employees of that group of mental health first aiders was very apparent from the comments that came back. They're seen as very valuable, very important, and something we should continue. That's wonderful. Yeah, I can definitely identify with the mental health struggles, although I think everyone can. It's quite a normal (laughs) situation to be in. But that's great that you are supporting staff that way, and long may it continue. A question to make you struggle, perhaps it's my favourite one, and one that people tend not to like. What is your favourite company to have come out of Oxford so far? (laughs) I knew you were going to ask this question. I don't pick favourites because you've got 140 companies. Well, we've created, as you said, 250 companies up to now. So um, how do you pick one out of all of those? They're run by inspirational people. They deliver impact and benefit to society in general. Just what we've been doing during the COVID pandemic. You know, we've seen companies created which are looking at ventilator systems. We've seen a company created from scratch for rapid COVID testing and then sold on to be able to get that test being used in Heathrow Airport and Hong Kong Airport across a whole series of sports 
facilities around the world and making it more widely available and getting the investment in quickly enough. That was Oxseed. So they're fantastic companies. But then we've got the really big ones. Nightstar Therapeutics, a hugely important company for the university and was sold for a very high price. And the university benefited from that. The majority of that money will be reinserted back into strategic research activities at the university. So it's really important that we continue creating these companies. We have lots and lots of them. So choosing one, almost impossible to do. All of them have their benefits. All of them have their value. And we need to see more of them. Ultimately, their job is to affect every person on the planet. The most important thing that we might have done recently is probably not the creation of the company. It's the creation of a vaccine that has the potential to be of benefit to every person who lives on this planet. And to have it done quite so quickly under the stresses and pressures of the COVID pandemic has been fantastic. And uh, the effort by the academic community with the support of AstraZeneca has been phenomenal to be able to have got it uh, approved in the time that it did. And now we see the government doing a good job of getting people vaccinated very quickly as well. So we're very proud and pleased of that, but it's not a spin-out company. For us, the most important thing is what impact is it going to generate? And that's world changing. I will talk about the vaccine more to your CEO, Adam, next week as well. So I didn't want to take too much time up. But yes, definitely worth mentioning that. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic news came out of Oxford. And yes, I think, I don't know what we're on currently, 20... 19, 20 million doses that have been administered of the vaccine so far, which, yeah, phenomenal <laughs> in the space of less than a year. Which... Yeah, well, there is more than one vaccine, well, yes, obviously, yes, it's so not, we will it's, point that yeah, out. But yeah, uh, Oxford... Yeah. Although the other two are also spin-outs, Moderna yeah. and, and uh, BioNTech. Yeah, Took a different path, but still getting yeah. people protected, which is yeah. really important. After your PhD, you moved to industry for a few decades before you came to Oxford. What prompted your return into academia and what has made you stick around Oxford for these uh, past, well, four and a half years, thereabouts? That's a really good question. It makes me sound very old as well, a few decades. (laughs) (laughs) I was in high-tech manufacturing, first of all, for mobile phone systems, making the base station equipment for mobile phone systems. Again, a spin-out from a university. It was a spin-out from Leeds University called Filtronic, became Filtronic PLC. Did that for 14 years and got to travel the world, actually. Looked after operations in China, Hungary, America, Australia, Finland. Had a great time doing that, but then got invited into the space sector, which is something I've been passionate about ever since I was a small child watching uh, Neil Armstrong first step on the moon back in 1969. So that does give you an idea of how old I am. And that was really exciting as well to uh, work in and lead a company that manufactured small satellites, which was also, funnily enough, a spin out from a university. That was a spin out from the University of Surrey. The first job I got to do when I joined there was to sell the company up for the university, which we managed to do and was a great success for the university. So every major sector that I've been involved in over the years has always had a relationship with universities. I'm passionate about the education piece. I'm passionate about the research piece, but I'm passionate about the use of those things for the benefits of humans. And when Oxford University asks, would you be interested in running our commercialization company? For me, Whilst it's associated with academia, it's still part of the commercial world. It still has a commercial function to do as well as an impact function. When the best university in the world asks you, would you like to come and join them and do something as significant as find ways of using their intellectual property, that was a very easy decision for me. And it's been a revelation. The people that I get to work with every day are world leaders in their fields, respected throughout the world passionate about their research, passionate about coming up with ideas that are going to be beneficial. 
the people that I work with within OUI are equally talented, committed. The very fact that under such difficult circumstances, we can have had our best year ever last year, and we're on target for well exceeding where we thought we'd be this year as well. That's what makes it exciting and interesting. And we have the full breadth of Oxford University's research output being reported to us. So it could be something from a, the humanities division. It could be something like the COVID vaccine. It could be something from the physics department. So the range of things that we get to see on a daily basis is just enormous. We get round numbers, about 400 invention disclosures a year from the academic community. And from those, we'll generate on average 20 spin-out companies. We'll generate 125 patent applications. We'll sign 150 commercial license deals, as well as 500 consulting services deals. And it could be across any range of topics. So for me, it's a fascinating environment to work in. It's never dull. We have that balance of the academic community, the college structure, the commercial activities that we're involved in, the working with the investment community as well. So it's never dull. It's always exciting. They're a great group of people to work with. And um, yeah, I look forward to being there for a little while longer. I'm thoroughly enjoying my time at Oxford. It's such a passionate place to be that you can't help but feel drawn into it. And you know there are always challenges in every company that you're working in, every job that you have, but that's what makes it interesting as well. So I'm thoroughly enjoying it here. It was a great decision to come and join uh, OUI. It's great to see the progress that we've made over those four and a half years, and there's plenty of scope for plenty more. I think I would suggest the output in terms of the innovation-based output, the commercialization-based output from the university still has huge capacity to increase. 400 invention disclosures a year, that's about one in 10 academics maybe that have worked at Oxford, there's still plenty of capacity to find additional work which we can take further. So there's plenty of opportunity for sustainable growth. And we want to see Oxford as a world-leading innovation ecosystem with the university right at its heart. And that's what we're aiming for. We want to be talked about at the same time as people talk about Stanford and MIT and Cambridge here in the UK. So that's what we're focused on. And that's why I stay, because it's great fun. Amazing. It does probably help as well that Oxford is a beautiful city as well. It's a great place to be just in general. I've always liked that place. It is when you can get there, but not well. in lockdown. <laughs> That's very it's true. It's a bit every... more of a challenge when, it, when there's lockdown on. My final question is an open-ended one. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want people to know? I think for me, the most important element of what we've been talking about here is Six universities in the UK do the vast majority of commercialization activity from universities research here in the UK. And the opportunity and scope for other universities to get more involved in that should be enormous. I'd love to see the amount of output from all of the commercialization offices, technology transfer offices, licensing offices, whatever we want to call them, going up over the next few years. The capacity for innovation in the UK has always been extremely strong. We're not short of good ideas. In fact, we've got plenty of great ideas. The investment situation is getting better. You know, the very fact that we can talk about the numbers we have done for Oxford recently is testament to the fact that there is a willingness for inward investment to the UK for these sorts of activities. And I'd love to see the whole sector move forward and generate much more benefit, much more financial return, and a much larger group of entrepreneurs that this country will support and uh, enable them to achieve significant outcomes, great companies, great technologies being developed. That combination of research outcomes across boundaries so that you can have humanities department talking about ethics of artificial intelligence and being able to tie those things together 
to come up with something completely new and different because it's crossed the boundary of the traditional research disciplines. That's all really exciting. So I'd love to see growth. I think we can see growth. We're certainly seeing positive support for research in the UK, and we need to see that translate into innovation outcomes as well. Here at Oxford, that's exactly what we're focused on. Take what we've got and produce as much benefit as we can. I think those are wonderful closing words, a bit of a call to arms to other institutions as well. Matt, thank you very much for uh, taking time out of your busy day to uh, join us on the podcast today. It's been a real pleasure to have you. Well, thank you very much, Thierry. I've really enjoyed it. It's great to have the opportunity to say what's happening here at Oxford. And uh, I look forward to your future podcasts as well. They're always well worth listening to. Hope this one maintains the quality that you've already managed to establish. It does. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Talking Tech Transfer is hosted by me, Thierry Hales. It is produced by Global University Venturing, a Morsonia Limited publication. You can find us at globaluniversityventuring.com, on LinkedIn as Global University Venturing, or on Twitter at GU Venturing. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In Ear Production. You can find them on inearproduction.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an interview. We'd also really love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or if you share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps us grow our audience. You can also reach out to me directly with feedback. Just email thelis at globaluniversityventuring.com. That is T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. Until next time, have a great week, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you.